Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us, whether you're in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. I know we had to lose an hour of sleep last night, so thank you for uh, getting up early to, uh, in our body clock time to come and be here. And Some of us are watching basketball games, happier or sad, uh, depending on how your team did, but uh, there is, I think, one Virginia fan here today. And, uh, but anyway, we are glad to be in God's house as uh, we are in this uh, Tell a Good Story series, and uh, we've been reading some really awesome stories in the Bible about... Uh, how God has worked in people's lives. And, you know, the other side of that is it's not just ancient history. God wants to write good stories in our lives for God's story to be a part of our story. And so uh, it's relevant for us today. So I'm glad you're here today to explore uh, the story of Ruth this morning. And before we jump in, just would ask that you join me in a moment of silent prayer, uh, that I would deliver God's word today, uh, that we would all hear from God and truly allow our story to be part of God's story. So let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. At the end of the school year last year, my wife Laura and I decided to uh, fill out applications for our two boys, uh, Nathan and Luke, to be accepted into a local charter school. Uh, Luke was only in the third grade at that point, moving up to fourth grade. He'd already been redistricted once, and it looked like that we're going to be redistricted for a second time, which in fact did come true. And so we wanted to kind of get some stability for our boys, and so we applied to this local charter school. Uh, and Luke was accepted, and Nathan was not. Uh, now, I just have to clarify that it's, uh, it's not based on merit. It's not based on money that you give to the school. It's just simply a flat-out uh, flat computer lottery. And so the computer just kind of randomly chooses names to fill in the slots. And so Luke was accepted, and Nathan was not accepted. We were excited for Luke, but, you know, we felt bad for Nathan. And, and there was a part of us that just, you know, really hurt because our son wasn't accepted. And again, it wasn't because he didn't deserve to be there. It wasn't a money issue. It wasn't a merit issue. It was just a random computer-generated lottery. But I think it kind of taps into something that we all have deep down inside, that, that we want to be accepted. And we want that our, our people that we love and care about to be accepted in the ways that, that they're seeking to uh, have happen out in life. Uh, well, this year, we've applied for next year, and Nathan actually got in because uh, the odds of getting in now are higher because he had a sibling in there, so we're grateful for that. But, you know, it was, it was interesting this year to observe, as Luke's been in the charter school for a year, how some of the other parents of children who got in ha have acted, uh, and honestly, just some of them have been very snooty about it, very snobby about it. Yes, my child got into the charter school, and, you know, well, what did they do to get in? Did they earn their way in? Did they pay their way in? You know, they, no, they just, they got lucky, you know. And so, so sometimes, you know, we're so excited that our kid gets accepted that, you know, we can become snotty about that. And so, again, I think it just, you know, it taps in to something deep inside of us about being accepted and wanting to be accepted. And so right now we've got high school seniors who are hearing back from colleges that, that you all have applied to. And, and this is most certainly a little bit different. It is based on merit-based. Sometimes it's financially based. And so, you know, we, we've had several uh, members of our church, you know, just share how excited they are to get in the schools of their choices. And we also know that there are people out there this year who are not going to get into the schools that they want to, and they're heartbroken and wonder, well, why was I not accepted when someone else was accepted? And so, 
You know, it could be a really good thing to get the envelope in the mailbox, or it could be a really terrible thing when the envelope's thin and it's not that big, thick, you know, acceptance packet that comes. And so I'm guessing if you're like me, sometimes we've been accepted for who we are, and sometimes we have not been accepted for who we are. And that's been more difficult to swallow. And so today, as we jump into the Bible, uh, the story of Ruth, that theme of acceptance is is all over the place. And I think it's going to help us kind of navigate in our own lives uh, our acceptance or our non-acceptance as we go about living life. And so uh, we're going to go back in time to about 1,300 years before Jesus was born. Uh, and the people of Israel have settled into the land of Israel. We, we spent some time with them last week, and they're now ruled by judges. A judge is a, a military and religious and judicial kind of leader uh, who's been ruling the people of Israel. And so that's kind of the same time period that we're in today. And uh, a woman who's Israelite named Naomi and her husband and two boys uh, have to leave the country of Israel because there's a great famine in the land, and they have to go in, in search of food. And so they move to neighboring Moab, and Moab is, has been an enemy of Israel for quite some time, so they're taking a risk by going into an enemy territory, uh, but it's also a place that has food. And so they flee Israel to go into Moab during a famine for food. And if this sounds familiar, you know, just a few weeks ago, We saw this with the story of Joseph and his family. Israel was undergoing a famine, so they go down to uh, Egypt, which has been an enemy of Israel, uh, and they find salvation there and, and, and find food there. And so same kind of things happening here. So Naomi and her husband and her two boys have now moved in into Moab, and her two boys fall in love with some Moabite women, and they get married which in that day was you know, something that you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to marry people in the nation of Israel, but they decide they, they marry these foreign women who've been kind to them and welcome them, and, and so they unite in marriage, and, and these families become one, and, and so they continue living their life there, and evidently there for quite some time because uh, Naomi's husband, uh, and then both of her sons die. And so it's this tragic moment, and she's just racked with grief, and you know, it's this horrible situation, and, and she's you know, left by herself there. And so she says to her daughter-in-laws, who she's come to love, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, just, you know, I'm too old to have children, to have sons again that will grow up to be someone that you can marry. And so probably the best thing for you to do is to go back and live with your families, you because know, I'm an Israelite, you're Moabites, I've got to go back home now, and... Uh, you're probably better off just going back to your families. And so the girls are crying, and you know one of them says, you know, that's probably the, a good idea, and, and she decides to leave and, and go back to her Moabite family. But then the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, no, I, I'm not going back. Naomi, you're my family, right? And I love you, and, and I'm going to follow you. And so I want to read today just a powerful passage of Scripture where, where Ruth and Naomi are talking about this. If you have your Bibles with you or have your tablets or your phones with your Bible apps, just encourage you to pull those out. Uh, And as you're doing that, uh, we're going to be in the eighth book of the Old Testament. If you remember, we've kind of gone through the first five books of the Old Testament. They're called the Law or the Torah. It's from the beginning of creation to where God gave Moses the 613 commands of the Jewish law, right? So those first five books we've looked at. Then we looked at the book of Joshua, where the people of Israel came back from Egypt in slavery to move back into Israel. And then last week we dealt with the judges who I just had had talked about previously. So the book of Ruth is right after that. And so we're in the book of Ruth. We're going to be in chapter 1 right now, uh, verses 16 through 17. Ruth has invited her daughter-in-laws to go home. But this is what Naomi uh, hears back from Ruth. But Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if ever death separ- if even death separates you from me. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Beautiful passage of Scripture. In fact, you might have heard it read at many weddings, and it's very appropriate for a wedding. As husband and wife come together and they say, where you go, I will go. Right? Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your family will be my family. Your God will be my God. And it's a beautiful thing. But if we really take it from its context, and that's a, a, a daughter-in-law saying that to the mother-in-law. So it would be like me inviting someone up to come up to have the, the mother of the groom come up and have the daughter-in-law take those vows to the mother-in-law. It, it might improve some marital relationships if we had that in, in marriages. It's not quite the, uh, uh, the average daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship, but it's a beautiful one here. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth leaves all of her people. She leaves her homeland. She goes back to Israel with Naomi, and they move specifically to Bethlehem, which is going to become very important because something's going to happen very special 1,300 years from now, and and we'll come back to that in just a minute. And so Ruth has found acceptance from Naomi. She's a foreigner. She's a former enemy, but now she's family. And so she's been accepted. The question is, will the people of Israel, will the rest of the, the family of God here in, the, in, in Israel, will they accept Ruth as much as Naomi has accepted Ruth? And so, so they go back, uh, and, and they're welcomed back, you know, initially uh, into the land. Uh, and, and we see uh, a flash of, of real truth from Naomi. She's still hurting. You know, she's got Ruth, and she's excited about that. She's going home, and I'm sure she's excited about that. But she's also upset because she's coming home without her husband. She's coming home without her boys. Uh, and so there's a real powerful passage of Scripture here again in chapter 1 where Ruth says some things that you and I might have thought in our lives, but she just lays it out. So let's go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Ruth says, I mean, Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi is voicing some very real feelings, right? My husband's dead. My two boys are dead, and I'm not happy about it. Naomi is translated as pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant because I don't feel very pleasant right now. I'm glad to have Ruth with me, but I don't have my husband. I don't have my sons. I feel bitter. And so call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. I left full, and I'm coming back empty because God has afflicted me. God has caused bad things to happen to me. And, And this is just a real, honest woman who's just putting it out there. And we can understand maybe where she is coming from. And, you know, I personally don't think that God is the one that caused her husband to die or caused her sons to die. But I can understand her anxiety and her stress and her wanting just to just to vent and get that out there. And, and maybe we've, we felt like Naomi. 
We've, we've encountered tragedy and we don't feel pleasant. We feel bitter and, and it's okay to, to just to let it out there and even be upset and angry at God. But I would just counsel you that I don't believe God causes bad things to happen to us. I don't think he caused it to happen to, to Naomi. I don't think he causes it to happen to us, but God's big enough to handle our honesty and our feelings. And so we see Naomi just, just, just be a, a real, true human being dealing with a real-life story of hurt and pain. I don't feel pleasant. I feel bitter, so call me bitter. But she did have the one bright spot, and that's Ruth. And Ruth is faithful to her, and Ruth comes back with her, and, and that gives her eventually lots of joy, and, and it's good that she's not alone. And so she begins to look around and think, you know, logistically, how are we going to survive? What's this going to look like? Don't have a, a husband to provide for me. It was a very patriarchal society in those days. And especially, how am I going to provide for Ruth? Because she's a foreigner. She's an enemy. She doesn't have a husband. We've got to figure out how she's going to t- take care of herself. And so what happens is that uh, Ruth decides to go into one of the local farming fields after it had been harvested and to try to glean whatever's been left over. There were some laws in the Old Testament, the, Mo- the law of Moses, where it allowed poor people or people who couldn't provide for themselves after farmers had kind of you know, cultivated the field, they could go through and they could gather what they could, could find, the leftovers. And so Ruth goes to find the leftovers and she's working there. And, um, and the owner of the field is named Boaz. And he happens to be related to Naomi, which is a good thing. And Boaz sees Ruth out there and he sends someone to go get her. And like, you know, who are you? What's your story? What's going on? And she explains to him what's going on. And he'd heard about her and how she'd taken good care of her mother-in-law while she was in Moab. And so that meant a lot to him because it was a relative. And so he said, look, Ruth, this is what I'm going to do, right? Don't, don't glean, you know, keep what you've got, but come and work for me because it's dangerous for you to be around here. And I'll tell the farmhands that work for me, the men, not to harm you, right? Because she's a foreigner. She's this defenseless woman. You know, odds are she was going to be abused in some, some form or fashion. And so he's like, I will take care of you. Come work with the women who are working here. And, and let's just see how that goes. And so Ruth goes back to Naomi, and she's excited. She's had this you know, conversation with Boaz, and, and Naomi's excited about that. And, and Naomi wants to elevate it, though, to the next level. She, she begins to, to do something that my, life, well, my wife likes to do, and that's matchmake, right? Set up people to kind of date, get in a relationship, maybe get married. And so uh, she's like, uh, this is an opportunity for us, Ruth. And so she's like, you know, get, get dressed up. Uh, the best that you can look, and here's what I want you to do, and, and, and this is not 21st century dating advice, believe me. Uh, this is like 1,300 years. This is 3,000 years ago in the Middle East dating advice, so it's going to sound a little strange to you and to me, but she said, I want you to go in, and where Boaz is sleeping, uncover his feet, and lay at the uh, edge of his bed. So evidently, that was the thing to do when you were single. So ladies, I don't know if that's something you want to consider. You might get arrested for stalking or breaking and entering. Uh, I I don't know. I wouldn't suggest it. But if we lived 3,000 years ago, this was the thing to do. So Ruth goes in. She does that. Boaz wakes up. Why are my feet cold? Whoa, what are you doing here? And uh, all that sort of thing. And and Ruth says to him, she's like, cover me with your garment. And the word for garment was like the word for wings. So it's like saying, spread out your wings over me, right? Like be my protector, which was a subtle or not really a subtle way, but just a, a very in your face kind of way of saying, you know, you know, cover me, claim me as your own. Let's get married and, and, and let's, let's have a family. And so uh, I think Boaz is interested at this point, uh, not just the fact that she's a relative, that she's taking good care of his relative uh, Naomi, but I think there is some interest here. And he says, well, you know, I, before I can consider doing that, 
the way that the legal system works here is that there's one more person who stands in line uh, to, to, to marry you based upon his relationship to your dead father-in-law and your dead husband. And so I need to go clear it with him to make sure he's not interested uh, in, in being your guardian or your redeemer. And so he goes and he meets with this guy and the local town rulers. And long story short, the other guy is interested in the property but not interested in getting married. Uh, and so he's, he passes on it. And so Boaz decides to, to buy Naomi's land that she would have inherited from her husband and to claim Ruth as his own and to marry her and to start a family. Uh, and so now R- Ruth, this foreign you know, enemy, has been accepted not only by her mother-in-law, Naomi, but now by this relative Boaz, who's a man of standing, and he welcomes her, uh, he marries her. They now own this property. They now can take care of Naomi Um, and they have a child together, and it's a boy, which is is a big deal because it continues the lineage of this family. And so uh, it's a powerful story of acceptance, of accepting a foreigner, of accepting an enemy, and welcoming her into the family and continuing the family um, with this birth of this child. And, of course, it also brings joy to Naomi. Now she has uh, someone to take care of her. She, she can be a part of this family. And now she has a grandson. Right? She didn't have an heir. Uh, her husband was dead. Her two boys were dead. This is a big deal, you know, 3,000 years ago. And so her family lineage will live on. And so uh, there's this, this joy in Naomi from her acceptance of Ruth. Now she has uh, this wonderful grandson, which she, of course, gladly accepts. And I just want to read you one more passage from uh, Ruth. It's just, it's really sweet. And this is where um, Naomi has had a chance to hold her grandson. And some of the local ladies are just telling her, you know, how special this is. And so uh, this is what happens in Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And so, it's just this, this joyful picture of how far God has brought Naomi from being you know, this widow, losing her sons, living in a foreign enemy country. Now she's back home. Now she's living on the land uh, that was hers. And she now has a family and now she has a grandson. And it says, you know, Ruth has become better to her than seven sons if she had had seven sons. And, and this is, I love the play of some of the words here. And this is what I think, you know, the big idea is today. If we want to get something to walk away from the scripture, and if you want to write this down or, or take a picture or talk about this with your small groups this week. This is what I think is happening in the book of Ruth that I think we can walk away with is that God takes us from bitter to better, right? In our lives, in our lower stories, God takes us from a bitter place and God takes us to a better place. And we see it with Naomi's story. We see it with Ruth's story, right? There is a lot of bitterness in these women's lives and, and God didn't give up on it. He didn't cause it to happen to them. He didn't want them to to experience that bitterness. But God works in their lives and brings something better into their lives. And so God takes us from bitter 
to better, right? So no, no longer it's Mara. Now we can call her Naomi. She's pleasant again, right? It's better than having seven sons. You've got this grandson. You've got this daughter-in-law who loves you. So in our lives, if we're feeling bitter, if we're encountering something hard in our life right now, something we can't understand, something that we want to cry out to God like Naomi, if there's some kind of tragedy that we've survived and we're not quite sure why we're going through what we're going, if we're in a bitter place, then we can have hope that God's going to bring something better into our lives. Because it's not just for people that lived 3,000 years ago. We, we heard Ebenezer say how God took him from, from where he was and gave him something better in his life, right? God meets us kind of where we are and, and helps us become something more. God takes us from bitter to better. So if you're in a bitter situation, if you're in a bitter place right now, then hang on and look for God because he's working to bring something better into your life. And usually that's going to involve other people. Other people who are going to accept us for who we are, who are going to love us for who we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? They're going to accept us for who we are, and, and they're going to love us just as, just as Naomi accepted Ruth, just as Boaz accepted Ruth, God's going to send people into our lives to love us and to accept us and to help us move from bitter to better. How many of us today need to make that move from bitter to better? You know, at the end of 2017, last year, uh, a lot of bad stuff started being uh, publicized uh, on the internet and in, in the news media, on television and in the newspapers and all that kind of stuff. All, all this stuff about all these people in Hollywood who were sexually uh, uh, taking advantage or harassing uh, or, or raping women, uh, especially people that they worked with who were, who were underneath them and had in, in power situations in, in the hierarchy uh, and just begin to just to, to snowball. And then it moved from Hollywood, you know, with movies and television to, to some of the more beloved news anchors that, that many of us watched on, on television. And, and then it spread to the uh, Olympic gymnast and, and hundreds of these young girls and women coming forward who'd, who'd been abused and, and, and by a doctor that they trusted and and then the, the Me Too movement started. The hashtag Me Too movement started on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these places where everyday women, right, women like, like our sisters and, and our moms and our grandmothers and our nieces and our cousins and our friends began to share how they have been sexually harassed and, and, and violence that's been done against them and, and just terrible things that, that have come, come up into the light. Right, And uh, the World Health Organization estimates that one-third, one out of every three women in the entire world has been a, a victim of sexual violence. That is just unacceptable. One out of three women in the entire world uh, is, a, is a victim of sexual violence. Uh, the Washington Post did a poll and a survey and found that 54%, over half of the women in the United States of America, have reported that they have received unwanted and inappropriate sexual advances in their lives. Right? Unwanted and inappropriate sexual advances, one out of two women in the United States of America. And of those advances, 95% of them went unpunished. Right? And, and it's just, again, it, it's unacceptable and the power of this Me Too movement is helping women to say, right, we believe you. 
We accept that you have been abused. We accept that something wrong has been done to you and you've done nothing wrong to deserve it. And you have nothing to be ashamed of and, and that we need to stand up to this and say that this is not the kind of country or world that we want to live in. Right? It's the power of accepting these women's stories is true. That's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it stems from that acceptance that, that we see in, in the book of Ruth. I was talking recently with a, a female survival of sexual abuse, and, and she talked about how hard her story has been and how much work she's done in counseling and, and with God. And, and she said that, you know, initially when the Me Too movement started, she was of mixed emotion. She was excited that, you know, that women could finally be heard and tell their stories, but she also was living in fear that people would point and say, it's just a lie. These women are making it up. But she says the more that, that's, that's come out, the more that, that women are, are seeing as being credible, that it's helped her in her own story to feel accepted. And I think that is the power of what's going on right now in our nation and in our world to say, ladies, if you are victims of sexual assault, if you're victims of sexual violence, if you're victims of sexual harassment, right, we need to accept that your story is real that you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to be ashamed about, that the ones who did this to you are the ones who need to answer for it. And I think that's a powerful thing, and I think that God is moving through this. And so, ladies, just by statistics alone, many of you here today have been victims of this. And if this is something that you're struggling with, and that you don't know how to, to gain help with, and I just would encourage you to contact me or contact Pastor Nancy, and we'll do whatever we can to connect you with the right people to help you. Uh, because you don't deserve this, right? You deserve to be accepted and to, believe, to be believed and to say that there is a better way, right? That there is a much better way, that, 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 that we can move from bitter, bitterness, terrible bitterness, to something better with the healing power of Jesus Christ. Also think about the high school shootings that just recently happened in Parkland, Florida. And uh, we've got a picture, you know, of one of the moms, I think, and just this, this horrific picture. This, this is a mom on Ash Wednesday, right? The beginning of the Christian season of Lent. It's Valentine's Day. And what was it? 17 people were killed and 15 people were injured. And it, it's horrific because it's, 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 it's senseless. The loss of life is senseless. And, and, and these are students who will never you know, get a chance to receive their college acceptance letters because they're dead, and it's, it's horrific. Right? It's, just, it's, it's so sad, and, and, the, and, the, and the victims, it, it's just awful. And, and the other side, there's another side of the story that's just as terrible, is the shooter, the perpetrator, the alleged you know, shooter who did this was a 19-year-old boy. A 19-year-old young man and, and his whole life ahead of him, and now his whole life is just completely ruined as he's ruined the, the lives of all of these families. It's just so sad and tragic. And, you know, I've been reading about him and trying to learn about him. And just from what I can gather from, you know, the, what the news media says about him, you know, he was orphaned. Uh, he, he may or may not have some sort of mental illness going on. He may or may not have been in some kind of white nationalist kind of violent movement. Uh, I read one thing from CBS that said he had a failed relationship with a girlfriend, and that might have been why he did the shooting on Valentine's Day, you know, which again coincides with Ash Wednesday. But I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm guessing in his life somewhere, he was so full of bitterness that, that the right person wasn't able to speak to him to help him get better, and it breaks my heart. 
He had to have been full of bitterness to be able to go and shoot and kill people like that, right? And so, so how could the people in his life miss how bitter he was and help him find out who God is to help him get better? And I'm guessing in his life somewhere, he didn't feel accepted for who he was, that he was rejected by one or more people. And, and, and who was it in his life who missed the chance to speak a good word to say, hey, man, I appreciate you. Hey, you know, God loves you. Hey, God has great plans for you. Somewhere along the way, not only did he miss going from bitter to better, he missed out on knowing that, that, that he is a loving child of God and that someone should have accepted him for who he was. And so we missed out. And his bitterness didn't become better, and it spread the bitterness to these families. It spreads the fear to our entire nation. And it's just a, it's a, a terrible thing, and we're, and we're just missing the opportunity that we see in the story of Ruth, the story of love and acceptance and how to make bitterness into betterness by letting God be a part of our story. That's why I'm so excited today that in the lobby, we can go and we can hear about our efforts at Pinewood Elementary School. It's a school that's just a few miles away, and, and we get a chance you know, to feed children, to give them school supplies, to give them backpacks, but also to sit down with them and to read to them and to tutor them. And We don't have to you know, have a, a degree or anything like that. We just have to be able to read or spend time with a child to say, you know, you're special. You're important. Right? There, there are lots of ways to fight you know, school shootings, but I think that the best way is, is to teach children that they're they are loved by God and that they're special and have something to offer the world. When they're bitter, we can help them become better, and that's through establishing personal relationships, and, and our church is doing that. And maybe God might pull on your heartstrings today to stop by the table and say, wow, how could I get involved? Maybe I could go once a week or, you know, once every couple of weeks and, and spend time with the same child again and again and again, and, and maybe we'll prevent something like that happening. Because some of these kids are in at-risk situations. Their parents are trying to do the best they can, but they're struggling with life right now just as much as the rest of us. And, and some of them you know, may or may not have parents who are actively involved. And so right, this is an opportunity right, to help someone move from bitter to better, to help someone know that, that, that God loves them and accepts them, and, and they're very, very special. Right? I think it's an incredible opportunity for our congregation. Now getting back to the story of Ruth and Naomi, we see this powerful story unfold in their lower story, right? Lower story, I mean the earthly story like, you know, that, that we live in our lives and how, how God takes them from a tough situation, gets them through that, and, and makes their lives better. And I think God does that for all of us. There's always going to be negative stuff we're dealing with, but God's always working to bring better in our lives. But God also uses this story to advance his upper story, right? The story of salvation for the world. And, and here's how that works. So Boaz marries Ruth. Uh, and incidentally, Boaz's mother, her name is Rahab. Does that sound familiar? Uh, we heard about Rahab the past couple of weeks. Uh, she was the prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho when Joshua sent spies into the city of Jericho when they were coming back to take over the land of Israel. And Rahab helped out the people of Israel. They spared her life. Right? She goes on to have this son, uh, Boaz. And so Boaz is the one who marries Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth have a son. His name's Obed. They're, he's going to have a son named Jesse. Jesse's going to have a son named David. David's going to become the greatest king in the history of Israel. Right? So Ruth and Boaz, right? Boaz, the son of a prostitute, Ruth and Boaz are going to have a, grand, a great-grandson who's going to be the greatest um, king in the history of Israel. And from King David, through his lineage and his genealogy, he's going to be an even greater king who descends from him. His name is Jesus. 
So Jesus is going to send from a prostitute through Boaz, through Ruth, through King David, is going to come the Savior of the world. So God is using the lower story, this bitter story of a woman named Naomi, of a woman named Ruth, to make it better for all of us by sending Jesus into the world. God sent Jesus, his son, into the world because we're far from God and God wants to be in a right relationship with us. What it means is Jesus was sent into the world to be like Boaz, to, to redeem us, to buy us back. Right? Instead of spreading his garment or his wings over us, Jesus spread his arms out on a cross and died and came back to life so that you and I can be in a right relationship with God. Our guilt and shame can be taken away and replaced with joy and peace and we can live life to the full now and forever in the kingdom of heaven. So what God says when he sends Jesus to us is he says, I love you and I accept you because I created you in my image. You're not perfect and I don't like everything about you and I don't condone everything that you're doing. There's some wrong things that you're doing that need to get better. And here's the story. God meets us where we are and he helps us become something more. God meets us where we are and he helps us become something better. God meets us when we're bitter and he helps us become better. Right? And so God accepts us. He loves us because we're created in his holy and divine image. He, he loves He loves us even though we have good, bad, and ugly within us. And he's like, I can help you with the bad. I can help you with the ugly. I love you because I made you and you're in my image and I have wonderful plans for you. And where you're bitter, I want to make you better and I want you to feel the acceptance. So brothers and sisters, if you're feeling bad about yourself today, if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling ashamed about something, right? this is the time to give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of feeling this way, and I'm not perfect, but I want to believe that I'm created in your image, and I want you to come and live in me, and I want you to help me move from bitter to better. I want you to help me become something more. God, thank you for accepting me and dying for me and coming back to life for me. This this is the moment for us to receive Jesus and to move from bitter to better, to help God come in and help us become something more. Amen. And here's the cool thing. Once we receive Jesus and we begin to tap into all that good stuff and that power, then he's going to put people in our lives who need that same good news. right? And so your homework today, if you would choose to accept it, right, the way to apply today's big idea, God wants to take us from bitter to better. This is the challenge that I would, I would issue to all of us, that we would, we would do one thing for one person in our lives this week to help them feel accepted that we would do one thing for one person this week to help them take one step from bitter towards better, right? Because if you're like me, there's people that are probably coming in your mind. You can see them now. They're starving for attention. They are starving to have someone say something nice to them. They're, they're, they might be annoying and irritating. They, they might be acting out and, 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 and doing negative things or harmful things, but, but they are dying for someone to notice them and say, you know what, I appreciate you. I don't agree with everything that you do. I don't condone everything that you do. But I want you to know I appreciate you and I want you to know that I accept you. right? And, and so maybe it's a word of confirmation that we simply say, you know what, hey, I really appreciate you. I'm glad that you're in my life. Or maybe it's as simple as an invitation. Hey, would you like to grab lunch with me? Hey, would you like to come sit with us? Hey, would you like to be a part of our group? We see you. We notice you. You're important. We want you to be a part of who we are. Right? Again, it's that deep down feeling inside of us that we all want to be accepted. We all want to get rid of our bitterness. We all want to get better. Right. So this week, do one thing for one person to help them feel the acceptance and love of God. 
One thing for one person to help them take one step from being bitter to being better. Maybe we'll prevent somebody from shooting up a school. Maybe we'll help a woman who's been plagued by demons of, of sexual abuse feel better about themselves. Maybe we'll, we'll find someone who feels like they don't belong and it's the end of the, end of the rope and, 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 and they won't commit suicide. Maybe who knows what we can do, what God can do from us because if God can move Ruth from bitter to better, if God can move Ebenezer from bitter to better, God can move us from bitter to better, we can help someone else. I love what Ebenezer said in his testimony. I just want people to accept me for who I am. I just want people to accept me for who I am. And he he nuanced it by saying, now that I'm in Jesus, this is who I'm supposed to be, right? God is making me who I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm becoming the person that I want to be. How many people in our lives just want to be accepted for who they are? Brothers and sisters, receive Jesus into your lives. Know that you are accepted because you're creating God's image. Ask God to help you move from bitter to better, but don't just stop with yourself. Find somebody, one person this week, do one thing for them to help them feel the love and acceptance of Jesus. Help them move one step away from bitterness and closer to better. Move from bitter to better in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.